Hello and welcome to In Conversation With, a podcast from Lancet Health and Longevity. It's May 2021 and I'm Jack Williamson. We are now living longer with multiple medical conditions and many older adults, particularly women, experience polypharmacy, that is the taking of five or more prescribed or over-the-counter drug therapies a day. Now this is problematic for several reasons. Taking more medications than we need leads to unnecessary drug-related harms, increased patient anxiety, and substantial financial costs. Moreover, concerningly, the causes of polypharmacy appear to be hardwired into our healthcare prescribing systems. To discuss why, I'm joined by Dr. Paula A. Rochon from the Women's College Research Institute in Toronto, whose review, Exploring the Problem of Polypharmacy Through a Sex and Gender Lens, is published in our latest issue. Hi, Paula. Thank you very much for joining me today. Could you start by briefly telling us a bit about what polypharmacy is? So polypharmacy is a term that's been around for a really long time. Uh, But I think it's interesting that it's a term that I think is probably more relevant now than it's ever been before. Polypharmacy is defined as uh, often the use of, say, five or more drugs by an individual. But, you know, it's also there's also the term hyperpolypharmacy, which is when people are using 10 or more drugs. And in fact, you know, a review that was done showed that there's probably close to 140 different definitions for what polypharmacy is. You know, one of the definitions that I really like is the idea of problematic polypharmacy, which really talks about not just the numbers of medications that are used, but whether or not they're really appropriate for the individual involved. Uh, So lots of different definitions, lots of different ways to think about it, but something that's very important. How new is this concept of polypharmacy? You say there's all these definitions, even in the hundreds. Why is there such a lack of consensus around what this term means? Yeah, so this term, as I say, is not new at all. It's been here for, you know, as long as I can remember, it's been considered something really important in geriatric medicine. But I think it's getting more and more attention on the world stage. And part of that is because uh, the WHO has profiled it recently as part of their global patient safety challenge that they called medications without harm. And it's one of the three areas that they identified for action for people to look at around the world because you know, this is such an important issue and probably one that's uh, very, very timely now, especially with our aging population and you know, with aging because becomes you know, increased use of drug therapies. So something that's been around for a very long time, but has ra- been raised, I guess, in terms of its importance uh, you know, recently. What are some of the reasons why older people in particular are especially affected by this problem? Older people are affected for a number of number of reasons. So one of them is, as you can imagine, as people get older, they're more likely to have you know, medical conditions and drug therapies are very important for treating medical conditions. So as a result of that, it makes sense that uh, you know, if you develop more me- medical conditions, you're going to be given more drug therapies to treat these particular um, conditions. And this is a particular problem potentially for women because women tend to have more chronic conditions than men. So with aging, uh, the use of drug therapies becomes even more important. Speaking of 
why older people are more affected than younger people um, by the problems of polypharmacy. What are some of the causes of polypharmacy in this population? Is this a medical issue? Is this a cultural issue? Or is this a bit of both? So I, I think it is both medical and a cultural issue. And the medical piece probably relates to the idea that as people get older, they have more chronic conditions and therefore should be getting more medications. But one of the challenges that we have is that when you think about guidance for prescribing, you know, that talks about how you manage particular medical conditions, it generally focuses on an individual condition. Here are the drug therapies that you should use to treat that individual condition. But what it doesn't take into account is what if you have multiple conditions? You know, do you just keep adding on these medications? So that uh, becomes, you know, very much a medical issue in terms of the way that uh, prescribing is actually happening. So when making these sort of decisions, you know, people need to think about the person in front of them and not, not just about the condition. So the other piece is that I think it's so much easier to start a drug than it is to stop a drug. And, you know, that, that is for, uh, you know, a number of different reasons. So as a result of that, people often accumulate uh, different medications. And this, this leads to this idea of, of uh, polypharmacy. When you talk about things like uh, doctors um, giving patients the same um, dosage of drug, regardless of their age or their sex. Do you think this reflects on a kind of wider cultural problem of how we actually prescribe drugs to patients? Do you think we should be looking at individuals rather than patients in that sense and factoring in these issues such as someone's age or how many other drugs they're taking at once? What are, you, what are your thoughts on the idea that we should be looking at the individual? And this is actually, polypharmacy could be said to be a problem of uh, one size fits all prescribing for every single patient? I think that is part of the issue. And that's why it's important to sort of dig deeper. And I think this goes back to maybe, you know, even sort of the ideas about clinical trials and how they're designed. And, you know, one of the things that we talk about is that, you know, there's been a big issue about older people, for example, not being necessarily as well represented as they should in the clinical trials that are used for uh, to, you know, to look at these different kinds of drug therapies. And this has, I think, been illustrated going back, uh, it, for example, in the National Institutes of Health in the United States. You know, it wasn't until the 1990s that there was guidance put in that you needed to make sure that women were included in clinical trials. And when you thought about the women piece, you know, you didn't necessarily even think about older women. It was just, it was women. And then I think it's also even more shocking to think that it wasn't until just a couple of years ago, like 2019, uh, that there was guidance put in to say that we needed to include older people in these clinical trials. But again, when you have these things looking at in, looked at in different ways, you're not necessarily getting, for example, older women. So if you're not studying these people, you're ending up with information that's very generic and it's not necessarily applied to older people, and in particular, for example, not uh, being applied to older women. And so this sort of starts that whole kind of series of events uh, that leads to problems. We don't necessarily have the information that we need to guide how best to prescribe, how you should prescribe differently for older people, how you should prescribe differently for, for example, older women. 
And that leads to problems like unnecessary uh, drug side effects. And why is it so important to consider sex and gender when discussing polypharmacy? And you're mentioning that it wasn't until recently that these factors were even considered by um, clinical researchers, etc. Why do you think these problems have been overlooked for so long? So I think it is really important uh, to think about the idea of sex and gender. And I think you sort of mentioned earlier this idea of one size fits all, you know, doesn't really apply um, as it relates to drug therapies. I mean, I think we've noted for quite some time that from uh, a sex perspective, there's differences between women and men. You know, for example, women may require uh, different doses of a drug therapy. And one of the pieces that we've looked at in this regard um, that's been talked about a lot in the literature is a a drug that's used for sleeping called uh, Zolpidem. It was a drug that was really, really widely used uh, for sleep uh, purposes, you know, in different countries, including the United States. And it had been on the market literally for, for decades before new data came out that showed that women relative to men tended to be drowsier in the morning after taking a drug like this. And it was decided um, that the dose really for women needed to be decreased and lowered. And so after being on the market for a very long time, this the dose for women has is now half the dose that's recommended for men. And you know that's the result of, of looking at these potential differences and going back and, and studying them. If you don't have that information and if you don't ask those questions, you know, really up front, you end up giving people the same doses and that leads to unnecessary problems. That's one one difference. But there's also important, you know, cultural differences that impact, you know, how drugs could be used by women and men. You know, simple things that we don't always think about, you know, for example, women may be less likely to pay for a drug therapy. You know, traditionally, women have maybe been less likely to be in the job market, less likely, for example, to have uh, had a pension, things like that. And so if they have to pay for things, they may not have the same resources available and therefore may not be able to have access to the same um, kinds of therapies, for example, that a a man may have. So there's these sex-related differences, and then there's also some of these cultural pieces that come into play in so many different ways. And if you don't think about them, you don't even notice them. What are some of the possible solutions that we can do to address and even counter the problems created by polypharmacy? One of the things that we need to start thinking about when we're thinking about uh, polypharmacy is we have to go back to sort of the very roots. And I think you need to start thinking about in all of the research that you do, uh, we need to start thinking about making sure that we're including women, that we're including men, and, and we're looking at various different age groups so that you actually have the information that you need. We also are looking at, you know, there's a lot of tools out there to help us think about identifying drugs that are potentially inappropriate. You know, it's interesting that these tools that are out there as well, you know, are very, very helpful, but they don't themselves also look at potential differences between women and men. So they need to be refined further. But there's good tools, you know, when you've identified a person that has polypharmacy uh, that you can use to help identify which are some of the drug therapies that you want to be paying 
more attention to and determine if these are therapies, you know, that are still potentially needed. There's also important frameworks that are out there uh, that people want to consider. For example, one of the ones that we've talked about a lot relates to the idea of prescribing cascades. This is something that's so simple, but it's often missed, you know, when you're reviewing drug therapies. And it's basically the, the idea that a drug therapy is prescribed, you know, a new a side effect develops, which is really a new medical condition that isn't recognized as being related to that drug. And the person gets put on yet another drug to treat that side effect. You know, so a simple example, like a person is getting an NSAID, a, a drug maybe used to treat, say, for example, knee pain. And that drug can lead in some cases to elevation of blood pressure. And as a result of that, a person is put on another drug to treat that high blood pressure and can get you know, further problems developing. So if you think about these things and think about these potential frameworks when you're, when you're uh, evaluating your patients, you can identify areas where you want to look at opportunities to what we call deprescribe. And basically that's the idea of stopping drugs or uh, just decreasing the doses. And so these are important things that we want to think about doing. When you mention um, stopping drugs or decreasing doses, what are some of the things we should be mindful about when doing these things to make sure that deprescribing or reducing doses or frequency of medications are done safely and effectively for patients? Well, we've put together some sort of thoughts, you know, as geriatricians that help us think about what some of these things might be. And one of them that I think is really important when you're starting out, when you're looking at these drugs, is really to be talking with the patient uh, that you're dealing with and their caregivers about what some of their goals of care are, you know, because some of the drug therapies that uh, people are on might have been very appropriate at certain times of their life, but they, for example, may not be appropriate uh, when goals of care may be more focused on things like quality of life. So you want to start by thinking about that and discussing that. And then it's really important to review the medications. Sometimes we don't even know what medications people are on. You know, so it's important that people bring, for example, all their medications with them. And that includes not only things that are prescribed to them, but it's also about things that they might be taking over the counter that we're, we're not necessarily aware of. So we have this idea about, you know, putting people putting all your medications in like a brown paper bag and bringing them in so that we can actually go through them and review each of them to determine if they're, uh, they're useful. And to do that, that's where some of these tools that we've described, you know, things like, you know, look, the stop start criteria are, are criteria that are out there that might be really helpful and frameworks that consider things like prescribing cascades or drug therapies that are most likely to cause side effects in people and really look at these medications to really think about, you know, what's, what's really needed. You know, and something that sometimes clinicians don't always think about, but it's really important, is you, you also want to think about, you know, are drug therapies necessarily the way to go? In, in certain cases, it could be that you can use non-pharmacologic approaches that can be, you know, really helpful. For example, in a, you know, if the, the problem is related to sleep, you know, what are some of the things you can do that make it easier for people not to have problems when they're sleeping that don't necessarily involve drug therapy? So it's important, uh, you know, reviewing the drugs, using the tools and the frameworks that we have 
and then considering very much the use of these medicines in that person's context, which is sort of, I think, where the idea of sort of that geriatric medicine type approach comes in, that you need to think about the person within the, their broader uh, context and determine, you know, what's really appropriate there. And then based on that, think about, you know, are all of these medicines still needed? Maybe they are, and that's that's fine. But if they aren't, you know, is there a situation where perhaps you could try decreasing some of the doses and maybe that's your goal? And in other cases, maybe the medicines are really no longer needed. And so it's the idea of how do you, you know, taper off these medications and, and stop them where appropriate. And the overall goal here, of course, you know, using this kind of approach is um, to ensure that the individual is getting the medications they need, but not getting medications that are not being helpful for them. You mentioned earlier, individual patient goals should be accounted for in the prescribing process. For instance, if um, they're at the end of their life or if they have several debilitating side effects with the medications that they're taking, what sort of considerations do you think doctors should give to patients who are at the end of their life or may have several adverse events that just aren't worth all the medications they're taking? So that's where it's really important to focus on what the individual's goals of care are and you know what their priorities are. And that should be the priority that the providers sh should be focusing on when they're determining what's best for that individual. So for example, in those sort of circumstances, a drug that might be helpful to prevent uh, complications that might happen, you know, years down the road are probably not relevant for a person who has a limited life expectancy. So you really need to work together to focus on what it is that matters to that patient and what are the drug therapies that they need to ensure that they achieve their goals. So that's a very different focus uh, than just thinking about what drugs might potentially be useful in general. Yeah. It's about realigning the whole narrative of the patient care journey in terms of having conversations with patients, learning about what they want as individual patients rather than what the doctor should be giving them. So treating patients as people, not as diseases, essentially, is the kind of one of the main messages, do you think? Oh, I think very much so. And I think that goes back to um, some of the issues that we get into where if you just follow all of the guidelines that are out there for this condition, for that condition, for the next condition, you, for example, end up uh, with people being on multiple uh, different drug therapies without considering what it means to that individual person. So it's very important to really start with understanding what the goals of care are and tailoring the drug therapies to that individual person. And finally, are there any other important issues to note that we haven't yet covered in our, in our conversation? Well, I think one of the things that we sort of touched on, but maybe, maybe not as much as we should, is this idea that while we know that there's important differences uh, between women and men in the way that they respond to different drug therapies and the way different therapies are prescribed, you know, sort of thinking about both some of the physiologic differences as well as the sociocultural differences. I think it's just really striking in the work that we've done to see that really, you know, none of the uh, guidance that's out there about, you know, tools to look at what's inappropriate in terms of um, 
prescribing for older people or uh, the frameworks that are out there that, that look at these issues or de-prescribing guidance has considered these issues. And um, I think this is something really important. And as we work to think about how do we tailor the way we prescribe uh, drug therapy to older people, it's really important that we consider age and that we consider differences between women and men and the intersection of these two things in everything we do. And that also then goes back to making sure that we have the evidence from the clinical trials as one of the starting points to help us inform our thinking in this regard. Thank you very much for joining me today, Paula. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. Thank you. You can find Paula's review on polypharmacy online now in the latest issue of the Lancet Health and Longevity. Until next time, thank you for listening.